G'day and welcome to the Beyond the Message podcast. Hey, it is great to have you here listening in today. My name is Lockie and I'm the host of this experience and really my job is to help guide those 167 hours beyond Sunday or beyond the message so that you can grow in your faith every single week. Now today I sit down with Chris Podlick and we talk through a one-off message called Face in the Crowd. And we dive deep into some concepts that we talked about on the weekend, talking about the three parables of the lost sheep, the lost son, the lost coin. And we also give really practical tips on how you can reshape your thinking to be focused on reaching those who are still lost by praying for people who don't yet know Jesus. Hey, we really hope you enjoy this podcast episode and thanks for listening. Well, Chris, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Uh, a week off, which is great to have Riley on, of course, but uh, we've got a triathlete with us now. Um, you take your annual week off for the Noosa Tri. How did it, how did it go, Chris? It was it was good fun. It was good fun. This is my, this is my third time doing the Noosa Tri, actually. There you go. It's um, It doesn't look like an easy event, and, uh, you know. Actually, surprisingly, this year was easier than other years. Okay. Because it In wasn't like as hot. In 10 seconds. Why? Why? Because I don't really understand this kind of stuff. Well, well, it wasn't as hot for starters. So instead of being 30 degrees or 32 degrees, it was like 24 and like kind of overcast, which was nice. And then for the first time in the past three years, the Noosa, um, the foreshore there was just absolutely crystal clear and flat. There you go. And that's normally what Noosa is known for. But the last two years, there was like white caps one year. Yeah. Which never happens at Noosa. And then the other year, there was a, a roaring rip. Well, there you go. That's uh, a look. Nice I really understood none of the words you just said there, but we'll we'll go with that. It sounds like you did well, and it's it's great to have you back because we've got a, a one-off series or a one-off message that we're diving into today with the podcast, and it's called Facing the Crowd. And Chris, you kind of explained on the weekend that it's almost a part five. It's almost a continuation from Reclaiming Irresistible. But yep. um, Chris, what was the inspiration behind this one, and, and why did we look at it? you know, before we head into Be Rich and, and the Christmas season. Yeah, well, like I, like I kind of said on the weekend, it, it's one of those ones, it was like so close to the series, but we thought it was different enough that we wanted to kind of brand it as its own thing. I, I think um, really the point of the year that we're at is right before Christmas, right before Be Rich, right before, you know, there's a natural point in our communities where people are talking about Jesus you know, kind of coincidentally around about Christmas time and stuff, a lot of Christmas carols. And so I think it's good to remind ourselves at these kind of key points in the year, like, hey, this is how we have those conversations. This is the way we should be thinking all the time. Um, but I like to kind of link it into natural rhythms in the year where it's going to happen. Yeah, too good. The natural rhythm with when Mariah comes out of her cave and starts singing again, I've heard my first uh, round of Mariah, so... And, I guess it is that time of the and year. And as Riley said on the weekend, the boobs is back too. The boobs. Oh, boobs. It's that time of year. We love Christmas, don't we, Chris? <laughs> I do. I've got my Justin Bieber Christmas album ready. <laughs> Justin as well. There you go. Well, we got four questions today to dive into about, uh, about the message on the weekend. And our fourth question is really practical going straight to our full Monday. So I'm, I'm really mm. excited for that one. Um, but to kick us off, Chris, um, we looked at a couple of parables on the weekend and in the parable we looked at, there was two groups of people who were actually sitting down, listening in, really leaning into Jesus talk. And there were the two groups were the religious and those who were not religious. So yeah. why is it today that people like Jesus, um, people actually really want to hear Jesus, but people don't like the church? Yeah. 
Well, <clears throat> if you um if you weren't there on the weekend or you just listen to the podcast, we're um we're in Luke fifteen. So Luke fifteen, and um I like Luke because he just gives us the the facts, and he's very like bang 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 and punchy. Um, and I think there's like an answer to your question, Locke. I don't think there's one exact reason. Like it's it's multifaceted. <clears throat> But um, one thing I think that we can observe culturally is that more and more people are kind of classifying themselves as like non-religious or anti-religious. And what that means is it doesn't mean they're like anti-spiritual or like non-spiritual, but effectively what they're saying is we're kind of done with the institution of religion. Um, And because people are becoming like, you know, more non-religious, what that leads to is a suspicion around like individuals or institutions that claim any kind of moral authority over their lives. You know, they'll always say, well, who are you to tell me what to do? That's kind of a thing that that comes up Mm. and everyone has their choice. Um, And unfortunately, what has seemed to happen as the world has become a little bit more relative or or moralistically relative, the church has kind of become a little bit more conservative. You know, like you hear Christians say things like, oh, let's redeem culture or let's take back culture for Jesus. Um, but, but what's so interesting and, and why I find it fascinating that Luke kind of points himself this way is that Jesus actually finds himself in and amongst these two audiences. One is kind of like, we want to do our own thing completely. And one is like ultra conservative. And Jesus Jesus refuses to actually take anyone's side in this conversation. And I think like Christians, it would be helpful for Christians to remind themselves that they don't or become aware that um, <clears throat> in the first century, Christianity actually wasn't an additional religion that kind of mm. came up because when people would come, come to Christians, they'd be like, Oh, what, where's your temple? And they'd be like, Oh, we don't have a temple. We don't, we don't go to a temple to worship our God. And they'd be like, well, how do you offer your sacrifices? How does that work? And so in Rome, Christians were actually called atheists because like the first people in the world to be called atheists were Christians because to the Romans, it wasn't another religion. It was something else entirely. Um, and so the same way today is um, is like Christianity should not be like one of the world religions. It should be something else entirely. And um, so, so I think that's kind of part of one of the reasons is, is as culture has become more relative, Christians have become more conservative. So people like Jesus, but they don't like the church. And just something for our listeners to ponder, you know, I'm not going to give an answer, but just something for our listeners to ponder is like, yeah. you know, as Christians, we say all the time, like we got to preach the gospel and, I am 100% in agreement with that. Um, But as Luke's kind of pointed out in this gospel, that when Jesus lived and taught, the people who were least drawn to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious sects, they were the people who were most drawn to Jesus and his teachings. And it was actually often the religious leaders. So like our church people, our Bible believers who were most offended and most like, how dare you with Jesus? And in fact, in like in Matthew 21, Jesus actually says that it's the irreligious people who would enter the kingdom of God before the religious. Well, so here's the thing to ponder. If our church communities aren't having the same impact on people that Jesus had, it's just worth asking, are we preaching the same message Jesus preached? Yeah. Wow. That's a consideration. Yeah. It's a good thing to ponder. And back to your stats, like people actually are becoming more agnostic, less religious. That's like, that's backed up by like just our secular Australian data, right? Like that's a, that's a thing that's happening. Yeah, Australian Bureau of Statistics backed that up. McCrindle backed that up. There's a lot of like people who are just sort of, it's really interesting because I think I think it might have been Riley in Reclaiming Irresistible sort of said yeah, that it was. Like, 
Christianity and atheism are on the on the decline and like kind of no religion or, or spirituality is more on the in the incline. Yeah, cool. Well, that's a that's an awesome thing to ponder. That's not even the application point today, Chris. Like we're already we're already deep into application. This is great. Um, moving on, because you know, we talked about a few parables, like there's the I guess the trilogy of parables in the uh, in, in Luke 15. So there's the lost son, the lost sheep, and the lost coin. We will get to the prodigal son in a second, but what do the what significance do the other parables have? Well, and that's a great good question because I think sometimes as Christians, like we know the parable of the prodigal son, but often we don't like recognize that it's actually the third of a trilogy of parables, and they're not like they're not segmented from each other. Jesus is kind of building to this crescendo, I guess. Um, It's like a real trilogy. It is a real trilogy. And so in the first parable, he talks about the lost sheep, um, which is kind of the idea that a shepherd has 99 sheep and and one leaves. And I mean, in the first century, most shepherds would work together in groups. And when they would leave their sheep, you know, they'd often leave their sheep alone because they don't need the sheep didn't need to be cared for 24 seven. Like they kind of, hung together as a pack, hung out. Um, and if they did have to leave to go and get one, often they'd kind of turn to the other shepherds and be like, oh, you're right, just to kind of look after this crew, I'm going to go grab that sheep. And, and often most shepherds weren't worried in the first century because often, you know, people think, oh, well, you know, maybe they would be worried to leave their flock there to go after the one because they're worried that someone will come and steal their sheep. In the first century, most shepherds were probably part-time robbers. Like they were kind of the bottom rung. Like they didn't own land. So they were a shepherd to, to, to begin with. Like, so they weren't really worried that anyone was going to mess with them because they were the people that was were doing the messing with other people. And so I think, you know, often there's this idea of like, well, of course the shepherd would go, you know, but really at the same time, the 99 were, were pretty comfortable looking after themselves while the shepherd went out for the one. They didn't lose anything. Um, so that's kind of the first point. And then the, the second point is that uh, the second story is a parable of the lost coin, which first of all, Jesus talks about a woman and women in the first century were, they were subhuman, you know, a woman couldn't give evidence in a court of law. They weren't really used as examples in anything. And so first of all, Jesus uses a woman, which is a big deal because it's not something that anyone would use. And then he talks about this coin that was lost and and a lot of scholars think that it was probably like, you know, those 10 coins were part of um, a dowry that would often be given, you know, <clears throat> in that culture. Uh, if a man was to marry a woman, the uh, the husband of the woman that she was being married would, would pay some money to the man. And then that would go towards building a house and all those sort of things. So effectively what this woman had done is she had lost some of the money that she was going to give towards her future husband. So she is like freaking out about it. And notice that like it happens at night. So she lights a lamp. She pretty much does everything in her power to um, to kind of get this moving, like find this item. And so, um, you know, Jesus is kind of just pretty much highlighting this idea that when something's lost, it becomes uber, uber, uber important um, for people to find. Yeah, cool. Well, I guess staying in that path and I guess then getting really practical what it means to be mm. a Christian today Um how can we, you know, like the church, Christians, Jesus followers, reshape our thinking to be focused on reaching those who are lost? Because as you said, Chris, like um, whatever is lost suddenly becomes really important. And as we know, this language of lost is people who haven't yet found Jesus, haven't yet found freedom or a relationship with God. Mm. Um, so, yeah, how can we actually entirely reshape our thinking, I guess, on an individual, but also on a church level to, to reclaim 
um, and to, to help people who are still lost. Well, yeah, you, you the, the word you use there, relationships, is great. I think because in the first two parables, it's a lost sheep and it's a lost coin, so it's items. But in the third story of, you know, the prodigal son, it's a relationship that is lost. And, you know, the father says, like, this son of mine was dead, but he's now alive. Like, he wasn't actually dead, but the relationship was dead. And so I think in order for us to understand this idea of lostness, because I think if, if you talk to a lot of Christians there's this idea of like, oh, the lost people are the people who don't follow Jesus. Well, remember Jesus was talking to like two groups of people in the crowd. And actually when we look at it, although it's popularly known as the parable of the prodigal son, it's really should truly be known as the parable of the two lost sons. And so I think as Christians, we have to redefine what it means for us to be lost because um, one son, the younger son is actually lost to slavishness and emptiness so he becomes a slave to money. He becomes a slave to power. He becomes a slave to people liking him. And then he gets to this point of complete emptiness where he's he's empty. And unfortunately for a lot of Christians, that's what they think of when they think of lost. But the reality is there's there's the older son who is just as lost, and um, <clears throat> but he's lost to anger and superiority. He's angry at the father. He's angry at God. He has this kind of superior complex like, I deserve, I have, you owe me. And they both are in desperate need of the father's love, but in different ways. And so first we have to kind of understand what it means to be lost. But then secondly, as Jesus followers in particular, we have to notice the way that the father embraces the two sons, right? The, the one lost son, he runs towards and embraces who is lost. And the older <clears throat> Um, the older son, he actually reminds that son of what he already has. And I think sometimes as Christians, you know, we we kind of, for those of us who have been Jesus followers, we're often the older son. And so the reason why we need spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices in our life is kind of like what the, the father says to the older son, like, hey, son, everything I have is yours. Like, what more do you want? Like, you just need to remind yourself of this, like, don't get angry. Don't think you're superior. Don't think you're better than anyone else. Like, and so for us, those spiritual practices are really important because they help us stay connected to God, lest we find ourselves outside the party mad at God because he hasn't done something that he should have done for us. Yeah. There you go. I've got a, um, a kind of side comment. I've, I've got this mm. book here. It's the prodigal God, which is by yes. Tim Keller. I don't yeah. know if you've seen this one, Chris. Um, but it's a little, it's, you know, only a couple uh, hundred or so pages. And it talks mm. about how yeah, it could be talk, called the, the prodigal son, the two prodigal sons, but also could be called the prodigal father um, yes. because it's this idea of, of God or, or the father in this situation using the resources kind of freely and recklessly in a way. And a yep. really good picture of what it looks like for not only the, like, not only the sons, but the father to, to uh, invite the son back in the lost son and almost freely and recklessly um, give his resources back to him, yep. which is this really great, great image um, of, of who God is. I think it's a, um, yeah, it's a really good picture. So that's just a little, little side thing for the, yeah, the fun fact, little sidebar that um, that book was actually the uh, basis of beyond's first ever message series. There you go. Well, mm. I feel like we have to, uh, Oh, we're going to honor this book. This, that's awesome. We got the first yeah. ever message series from beyond. It was called the lost faith. Which wow. is such a churchy, like, yeah, we've come so far. <laughs> that was such a churchy series title. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow. Well, there you go. Well, as I said, we've got a, a really practical question. I hope mm. uh, we've actually 
um, come a long way with, you know, with some really helpful tips, this, this podcast episode. Um, but Chris, our for Monday for this week was to, was to pray for a person by name, not just for a day, not for a week, but mm. for an entire year. Um, yeah. And we're specifically praying for someone who isn't a Christian, who doesn't follow Jesus because we want them to have a relationship with Jesus. So uh, I've got a couple of questions about how we can get super practical with this. How do I know who to pray for? Who do I pray for? And what are some ways I can pray for this person? Because I can imagine it could get pretty boring after a year saying the same prayer, or maybe that's, maybe that's the joy of it as well. But how, how can we actually engage in those prayers to really impact the person we're praying for? Yeah, well, and the first thing I actually have to make an amendment, I was um, got in trouble is the wrong word, but I was given some feedback from my wife and she is very adamant that I've got to stop giving people yearly challenges um, <laughs> to do things. And I was like, no, 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 that's a fair crack. Because, and, I, and, you know, if you're listening and you were sitting there on Sunday and you're like, you know what, a year is a big chunk of time, right? I get it, my bad on that. Here's what I would say. I want you to do it for a year. But if you only do it for a month, try it for a month. You know, if you do it for yeah. a week, I think you'll be tempted to do it for two weeks and then three weeks and then four weeks. And then soon you'll have done it for 52 weeks. So, I mean, really, you're trying to get us to build a habit of praying for people that are not Christian, right? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. reading into it a bit, Chris, and, uh, but, but I'm reading feeling into it well. like I'm reading into it well. That's great. You know, we, we should be praying for people. I not should be. Um, uh, we would encourage you to. We, we don't want to make it a, a rule or anything like that, but I think it's a good practice. Yeah, so so how do I know who to pray for? The first thing is I would say just look at who's in, who do you know in your life that doesn't currently follow Jesus that you have a relationship with. Um, that could be people that you work with every single day, could be people in your uni class, could be people in your sports team, could be people in your family as well. And so just... Think of like, hey, who, who is it in, in my life that doesn't know Jesus that I'm in close contact with on a regular basis? <clears throat> um, so that's, that's the first one. Um, and then, then I would say pick one name, you know, because most people, we live in Australia, so most people know a whole bunch of people who aren't Jesus followers. Yeah. Um, and so just, just pick one because I think it makes it easier. You know, if you make yourself a list of five, then it's kind of like, oh, every day, not only do I have to pray for one person, I've got to pray for five people and it becomes like a <clears throat> too overwhelming to even begin. Um, <clears throat> and then what are some ways you can pray for the person? Well, I kind of gave you a prayer on the weekend. Um, you know, God, just use me in whatever way possible to help this person find out about Jesus. Um, but you can pray for this person in a whole bunch of practical ways. I often, you know, a friend of mine um, when I was in America um, living over there, just gave me this prayer and said, you know, one of the greatest prayers to help you see another person the way that he sees them. And so I think that's one of the most powerful things we can pray for people who don't know Jesus. Because I think in our own minds, we've we've got this agenda of like, okay, I'm going to love you in such a way and then you'll, then you'll know Jesus. Or I'm going to have this conversation and then you'll ask a question then I'll be able to invite you to something. But the reality is I think what we need to be praying for is for God to open up our eyes so that we would see them the same way that he sees them. Because then I think our approach would be far more relational, far less about getting them into a building and far more about giving them a glimpse, glimpse of who Jesus is. That's great, Chris. I think that's a, a really nice way to tie up today's podcast episode. Thanks so much for jumping on for this little uh, 
little one-parter. I love a good a one-off. It's a short, punchy, straight to the point. Um, before we head into Be Rich, which I'm oh. always excited about, oh. can't wait for it. Can't Great wait to give year. away a bunch of money. We've got Be Rich giving away a bunch of money, serving the local community, and then it's Christmas. It's Christmas. One what more a time! Ask for Justin Bieber's Christmas album. Oh, on repeat. Man. I cannot wait. Maybe I'll get the band to see if they can play some Justin Bieber Christmas. Yeah, that's good. I like it. I like it. If you're listening, Ben, get onto it before we even have to ask. <laughs> Should have the sheet music printed ready to go. Uh, that's good. Well, thanks so much, Chris. We will uh, we'll see you back. Are you on part one? I know I should know this, but you're yeah. part one to be rich. We'll, we'll see part you next one. week. Can't wait. How good? Very good. We'll see you then. We'll see you.